Thank you for tuning in to Cop with Comic. I'm Brian Cop, and we're with comic Patrick McCartney. Patrick McCartney, how the hell are you? I'm good. How are you, Brian? Oh, doing good. Thank you so much for coming on. And I follow you everywhere. So you're doing, um, you know, I think you're probably still uh, just teaching even during quarantine, but I follow you online. You're the Patrick Mac at both Instagram and Twitter and you're patmccartney.com. That's right. I'm patmccartney.com is my website. And the Patrick Mac is my Insta and Twitter. Yes. Uh, and I teach for the People's Improv Theater. Hell yeah! So a lot of people come through through here, and they're all like, "Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm on the striker stage at the at the pit," and I'm like, "Wow, that's a pretty good achievement." Yeah, the striker stage is great. The loft is also great. I love yeah. playing the loft, which is the West Side location on West 29th Street. Ah. Uh, it's been a while since I played there, but I work with a group called Centralia Improv, and we do long form improv, and I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think I just had Chris Griggs might have mentioned that the pit might have a different location like Philadelphia even. Is that true or no? Maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Yeah, no, we have a, a spot in North Carolina. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's what he said, North Carolina. Yeah, so I remembered it exactly wrong. <laughs> you did. You just rem- you remembered that there was another location. We have two, <laughs> two theaters in New York and one in North Carolina. And one that I just invented in Philadelphia. So maybe someday, you know, from our lips to God, God's ears. Pit Philly. Pit Philly. <laughs> and so Centralia, has that been around for a long time? Centralia has been around for two for 2,000 years. Centralia. <laughs> Before improv itself. Centralia was is uh, something I founded with the 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 boys that I do it with now, Matt Higgins, Kevin Scott, and Jay Roderick, and our director Shira Piven uh, directed us back in two thousand, put us together, and then I left the group and uh, I was I was sort of gone for many years, and I came back, started teaching again. The group was still together, and. I was invited back into the group, which was uh, one of the more incredible things that's happened to me in the past six years. Of course, you were invited back, man. You're one of the, the founding members, right? Right. Yeah, it was in the it was in the decree. It was in the constitution. They had no choice. I like to say I was invited back, but it was a blood oath. I leave whenever the fuck I please, and I uh, am admitted back immediately. Right, just like the guy from uh, the guy from some band, the guy from Journey, right? He can come back whenever he wants. John Fogarty should go back to CCR, but that yeah. whole thing is fucked up. Yeah, but I, really, all we want to see is John Fogarty. So we'll we'll let him fucking uh, pluck some pluck some strings on YouTube, and who who gives a shit about CCR right now? Right, they're just uh, man. That is one of the saddest stories ever. The brother won't uh, that fight. I. Dude, it's just, it's just what? What are they an improv? What's all this drama for? Yeah, so tell me, like, you were a big dude, big swinging dick back in the day. You studied with Dell Close, who's one of the bigger names in the history of improv. I did. I studied with Dell back in the '90s in Chicago, which was a really great time in Chicago. It was like uh, I'm sure it'll be written about at some point. Yeah, if it hasn't already. Yeah, so I'm I'm from the Chicagoland area, and so I lived there probably. 
early 2000s and so i mean it's just a bad it's a badass place especially if you live in some of the improv meccas like maybe lakeview or wrigleyville yeah when i was there uh improv olympia io was at a place yeah. called chow and that's where and then we moved to papa milano which was an Italian restaurant. And then it went to Wrigleyville by the time I was gone. So I was doing like plays and uh, improvising. I never did stand up. Yeah. So tell me. Yeah. So I think one time I went to Improv Olympic and it was the SNL cast that, w- that was there. You know, a lot of SNL people come back periodically. Right. And so I think my sister got me tickets to that because she knows I like SNL. But yeah, it sounds like you, get, you got nothing but good things to say about Del Close. Like, you know, what. You know, what did Del Close do with respect to improv? Did he in- invent certain improv forms that are um, super popular, successful? Like long well, I mean, form I, versus short form? Yeah, my experience with Del was very a uh, positive one. I was, yeah, he was all about long form. He did not like short form. Uh, he did not like when people tried to be funny. That was one of his big things, even though it was filled with hugely funny people. Yeah. Uh, the classes were like, it was, it was, back then it was like funny people and a lot of witches and warlocks. It was just bizarre. And it it's was just what, bizarre characters? You're saying like the actors themselves were just kind of bizarre? No, well, uh, there, there, there was room for all all types of people, not just, you know, uh, uh, people that had a career in comedy sort of objective. It was okay. like he, he had he had a real fascinating mind. And what he taught me was like about commitment, how to take the scene seriously. He was always sort of expanding the possibilities of long-form improv. And he had, like, a theater background, so he was interested. So the work I do now with Centralia Improv uh, is parallels what I believe would be his sort of journey in improv as far as, you know, real, true, pure, long-form improvisation. So that just means the scene is longer. Like you guys will take some words from that the just audience, means, but the scene lasts all night. Like it's, it lasts all, all show long. That just means we don't leave them wanting more. We're just like <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna eat all the meat off the bone, whether you yeah, whether you enjoy it, watching it or not. No, I mean the things I learned from Dell, I apply to the longer form. Uh, that I do with Centralia, but the Centralia group itself, they don't all, the, not all of them have studied with Dell. They, they've studied with Viola, uh, Paul Sills and they embrace other sorts of improv work. Okay. But, and what are the other sorts that they bring in? Like, are they still kind of in love with the idea of committing to a scene, even if, you know, and not being funny, like the scene is funny. The actor doesn't have to be funny. The actor just has to commit. Oh yeah. Well, fortunately, you know, they're all funny people. So I love watching funny people commit to scenes. I don't think with the intent of making it dramatic, if you have a funny person walk in and play a scene seriously, I think it's funny. Like it's going to be funny no matter what, especially if you find the unusual thing and heighten and explore it. I I don't think like intentionally trying to be funny in improv is at all uh, something Dell encouraged. Yeah. It's 
it was the opposite of that. Uh, he believed that if the if you were trying to be funny, the audience could see it coming. If you're in uh. agreement, if you're playing with somebody and you're in agreement, you're contributing to the scene, then it can lead to discovery. And that's really what makes improv funny. I mean, I've worked with some very funny people who know exactly the funniest thing to say at any given moment. But it shouldn't be, it should be a people's art form. It's not just for funny, clever people. Wow. And so you have to find out that really uh, un unexpectedly funny thing about a situation. So like a situation that wouldn't be per se funny. Um, right. You know, like the pandemic. Like what would be something, you know, a, a funny premise would be X, a serious premise with funny stuff in it would be Y. Like, you know, what's a, a pandemic related thing that is not ostensibly funny? And what's the thing that you discover about it that makes it hilarious? Putting on the spot here, of course, because wow, you're an improv, improv god, right? What makes <laughs> the pandemic funny? Well, um, death and destruction. There's so much that's going on right now. I mean, the fact that we all don't agree that there's a pandemic going on is yeah. kind of funny. Like, the fact that we're all like fighting over whether or not this is real, that's <sighs> What reality is, who chooses what? Yes. I mean, it's absurd. Good. But... Immediately easier than something fucking funny, dude. I wasn't expecting you to go there, but exactly, you're right. That's why they're paying <laughs> the big bucks, Brian. That's why they're paying <laughs> the big money. Yeah. Yeah, like every, yeah, everybody can get something out of your improv instruction. Like I, when I had Chris Griggs on earlier today, like he was talking about, you know, even, even stand-ups could benefit from it. Um, so yeah, like, you know, pitch the, pitch the coaching with respect to improv for standups who might be like, eh, improv ain't for me. Well, Griggs is great. I love Griggs. He's great. Yeah. Um, the thing about improv is it works for everybody. I mean, when I'm teaching beginning levels, especially, which I've been teaching a lot of in uh, coronavirus, it's really like about getting out of the self and celebrating the other person. So it takes like what could be a kind of uh, having never done stand up, it's hard for me to comment on it. I've worked with so many stand ups yeah. uh, in improv, and I think it's a healthy way to sort of look at the world and how to make another person feel good. That's yeah. sort of the primary objective when you're beginning improv. And then you start to go along the lines of really listening and focusing in on certain unusual things the person might say or and how you can respond to it, whether it's emotionally or, um, you know, you can unpack a, the, a word a certain person said, you know, as I as I teach higher levels i start zeroing in on really active listening and how you can really grab onto the opening line of dialogue my big thing is the opening line of dialogue like if i were to say to you um you're the you're my favorite customer a lot of improvisers will spend a lot of time going thank you or can i get another coffee rather than focusing on maybe just the word favorite and yeah. what that means? Wow, I don't <laughs> get that. that I don't. Even, I, nobody <laughs> thinks I'm the favorite. My wife doesn't even think she's had three husbands, and she called <laughs> her second favorite. She didn't even use the word favorite. She uses the word meh. Yeah, 
I love that. And then, I mean, now, would it be an example of yes and to say, well, then who are the people who are less than favorite? Like, my wife is also a customer and she's not your favorite. Like, or is that not going with the kind of thread that you've established with your opening line of dialogue? Well, if you were to call me my uh, the favorite customer, I'd probably, uh, what I'd want to do is, and I wanted to grab onto favorite, I would embrace it, let it affect me emotionally, probably shout it out to the rest of the restaurant, <laughs> maybe call my wife and tell her I'm the favorite. <laughs> I love that. You can also react to things emotionally. That's cool. Like, and yeah. So, so, yeah, it never occurred to me that you could react to things mo- emotionally. What are the other things? Like, I would, I would think that... You'd answer a line with dialogue with dialogue, but you're like, you can also react to it emotionally. That just opens up some doors. Like, what are some other categories of reactions? You could respond with despair. Yeah. You know, you'd say, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, be, yeah, beyond emotionally, though. You like, could respond there... with fear. Oh, beyond emotionally. Well, of course, you could say that. You could say you say that to all the customers. Yeah, you're trying to manipulate me into giving you a bigger tip. You can respond. I suppose that's paranoia. Or you could just do the thing that most people do, which is like, "Thank you. Can I have another coffee?" And then we sort of set up. um, We sort of take our time to find the scene rather than allowing the first line of dialogue to be the scene. Yeah, so, so how do you decide whether or not you should kind of keep chopping it up to figure out a better direction? Like, you know, so if the opening dialogue is not that promising to the other person in the scene, like the two prov, you know, the other person in the two prov or something, right. like they're like, well, let's just kind of explore. Let's have another cup of coffee and maybe chop it up about other customers that you've had in the past. Uh, 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 I'm not sure what the question is, but if I were to, yeah, I mean, the, the scene is constantly discovering itself. So if I were to heighten and explore the word favorite, um, we may be edited. We may have uh, a longer period of time. And then I may confess to the waiter how I feel about them, <laughs> which may or may not be my favorite. Yeah. And. <laughs> Then the status may change, and the anger, and the waiter may get angry. The, the the waiter may say, "You know what? I'm not your favorite waiter." May go in. Maybe the second beat, he's confronting my favorite waiter. <laughs> I don't know. The thing yes. is, I'm constantly in discovery and allowing it to go wherever it's going to go. Yeah, I, th- I think I worry because, like, the look on my face, though, like, like, you know, even if I got all these great ideas like you got, and I, I'm not saying I would because I probably would not, but I, I fear during that point of me thinking of these things that I look like a fucking dumbass. I look like I'm stuck in neutral when I'm trying to think through this stuff. Like, is there anything you could do with your face to kind of cloak the calculus that's going on in your brain? Because you just had wonderful ideas, but if I feel self-conscious while I'm cr- thinking of those ideas... I'm just going to not show the confidence that I probably or the commitment that I probably need to show to get laughs. Well, the main thing is to actively listen and focus on your scene partner. So uh, that's 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 the trick. Right. I want to get the laugh. I want to get the laugh. So you want to stay in the scene with your scene partner. You want to focus on them and the group Uh around you rather than start wondering where my laugh is. And that was, you know, ultimately what I learned when I worked with Sharna, Noah, and Dell at I.O. It's like, I don't want, I'm not here to, 
um, make the, I mean, we are doing comic improv, but if I'm focusing in on where the laughs are, then I'm not really in the scene with the other person. And if I trust that the scene is building and it's organic and it's pure, and when I'm taking care of the other person, the other person may not, I could see nervousness maybe in the other person. So I may adjust my tactic. I may, I, I want to do whatever I can to get that person in play with me. So it doesn't mean I want to, I don't want to write the scene. I don't want to think ahead of time. I want to grab onto something and be in play so I'm out of my head rather than be stuck in my head. Yeah. So, so, the key is how do I get out of the self and I get out of the self by focusing on the other person by actively listening. Once I'm in writer's head, it's, it's done. Like I'm done. I'm and no also by focusing on your scene partner, the audience is also still focused on them too, right? They're not focusing on what you, what your face might look like while you're thinking. Yeah. We are watching as you are in play. We're watching. We're not, we're not hoping for, we're, we're, you know, we're we're watching two people live on a stage. That's why it's a theatrical form. That's why it's beyond just two people talking and being clever. We're yeah. we're watching behavior. We're watching um, people live in their imaginary environment. We're watching people listen with their whole body. We're we're we're, we're watching theater. And can you even take a beat like, you know, you know, if you guys are you know, supposed to be in a coffee shop or a restaurant or whatever, you know, like, can you give yourself a second? You know, like you can see things. Yes. And, yeah. Oh, my God. That would help. That helps. <laughs> I love that when improvisers take a second. It feels like an hour. Yeah, I know. Improvisers. I yeah. love silence. I'm like, go ahead. Take silence. It won't last longer than 10 seconds. There's if you can get improvisers. To be silent for 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned to love the awkward pause. I just love it. I fuck, uh, can we curse on this? Oh, please do. You fucking love it, I, dude. I fucking relish it. I'm just like, fucking bring it on. No, no. <laughs> do not say anything. Let us sit in this fucking awkwardness. Because there's silence in life. You know, if you have an interaction yes. with a barista, there's probably going to be silence there while you guys are searching for things to say. But meanwhile, yes. she's ma she's making a drink. You're looking at your phone, whatever. Yeah, I mean, silent yeah. scenes are wonderful. You know, so few people do them. Everybody feels the urgency. They want to run out and they want to speak, 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 speak. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, um, and to watch two people just be in trust or a group be in trust and take their time. You know, it's just a remarkable thing to see. And that's really what advanced long form improvisation for me is all about. Yeah. Cause, and I think that's probably some problem that I have when, you know, when you when you're part of an improv class and I have been and I didn't go back because I hated it. But, nice. but also if you're seeing like improv at a certain level, it comes off like here's a bunch of theater kids who are enjoying pretending too much. And it's yeah. probably, you know, it's probably those people who just kind of keep wanting to speak and fill the silence with their own chit chat. But if I yeah. have a lot of silence, you're building up tension. And I think, you know, I think Norm McDonald was like, I never have people in the audience like clap or whatever, because I want that tension there. I want the air. I don't want to suck the let the air out of the balloon. I want the, the balloon to be big so that when I pop it with my punchline, it'll be that much bigger. Yeah. Like, does, tension, does tension play a role in kind of keeping that silence? Because I would trust and I would hate improv less if it resembled real life and it resembles real life if there's actually occasional silences there or beats here and there. 
Heck yes. Take silence. Do it. Whatever you have to do. You have to trust that the person you're working with is going to, you know, be comfortable in the silence as well, um, which is very rare. But if you work with a group for a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. I mean, At a certain level, have... it's rare, right? Because and so I guess my question oh, yeah, here is like, beginning yeah, it's super rare. It's super rare in the beginning. And I hate I, that. So like, how are you making students love improv if there's occasionally a shitty improv partner who doesn't embrace the silence and just talks a lot like a theater kid? Like, do you step in and say, okay, you see what this person did here? <laughs> do, do you see what this person did wait, here? Wait, I want to talk about what is a theater kid in your mind? What's a theater kid? I think, yeah, I think for me, seeing improv people, um, at a certain level I think might be slightly annoying if they seem like theater kids who are a little too eager to pretend and so meaning like and I think that probably comes with oh no I can't let a silence go I have to talk and like and then the scene comes off as unreal because they're all just these people with this they're two type A people who are never silent they're never awkward and I'm like that's not real you guys are just theater kids who enjoy being on stage and have having an audience of people watch you Theater kids, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I get all types of people in my classes. Uh, some are theater kids. Some are, I mean, for me, that means they just like they only know stuff about theater. Some are like human beings that have been through a lot. Some are just like nervous. They yeah. want more confidence. And it's really just about embracing the group. So if I have a group full of theater kids i want them to work with other people the yeah. i think improv gotten a lot of i think improv you know from the time i left to the time i came back it became very um uh almost a little elitist in that it became competitive and it shouldn't be competitive it's a it's um, it's an art form for the people, and everybody should be able to make each other look good. I mean, that's the primary principle behind good improvisation. Yeah. And, and, you know, funny people do it, not funny people. I mean, I work, I'm at a certain point right now where I love to work with people that make me laugh. Yeah. And that's pretty much the only people I, I work with. <laughs> but who makes me laugh might not make you laugh. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Um, I even saw some bizarre laughs. Amy Poehler was there. I was like, why is she laughing right now? <laughs> like, she's an improv yeah. Olympic. I had no idea why she was laughing when she was laughing. But it's just she was seeing things about the improv scene that I was not seeing. And she was giving credit to her scene partner or whatever and being like, oh, I see what you did there. That was interesting. And I'm sitting there like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, but, I mean, uh, like, if you and I are in a scene together, my objective is more to make you laugh than it is to make the audience laugh. I well, want to... Cool. I want I want to have fun with you on the stage. I don't really care about the audience. I just that's don't. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. So you teach this, and so how does somebody get in touch with Patrick McCartney through? Like, the, do they do it through the Patrick Mac? I mean, do they get individualized lessons now that the pit? I imagine the pit is not open, unlimited right now. Like, yeah, are you guys I, are you doing I, this I, remotely? I'm teaching uh, through the pit. I have uh, a level two going on right now. I have a sober prov class starting on nine five, which is oh, cool. for uh, people like myself who are in recovery, and it's just sort of fun uh, improv games. And then I have I teach an acting class, which is a fun acting class for non theater kids, Brian. <laughs> 
and or some theater kids. It's fun because you take the idea of like, all right, here this is a person that only has been to, you know, whatever drama college, which is by the way a waste of money, and the another person who's only been this thing, and you have to do that thing where you make each other look good and listen and respect each other. You know, as soon as I see any behavior that's competitive or snobby, I just destroy it. Just destroy it because I fucking hate it. Because that's what I want to see. I want to see that my experience isn't shitty now because improv sucks. It's my my experience in this class is being shitty right now because my scene partner is doing something wrong. And that's so to so to have Patrick McCartney jump in and be like, "No, here's what you did wrong. Don't do it again." Because then I'm like, "Okay, well, improv is fine. It's just my scene partner was being selfish there." Yeah, I want your scene partner to to be, you know, making you feel good. And the thing is, you know, you should be working in this in the class with the one person you don't want to do a scene with and the one person that scares the crap out of you. That should be your objective when you enter a class. Uh, one of your objectives. Um, you can find me at my website, patmccartney.com. You can hire me privately there. Otherwise, you can hire me through the pit. I have three classes that just went up. Uh, level three class level three improv sober prov and my acting class i'm also teaching a solo show class uh which is going really well and i'm hoping to start that again end of september middle of september it's called how to solo show uh and and uh you can also hire me privately through the pit you just go to the the pit.com um and you can find that or www.patmccartney.com. And so and there, can... there they're going to learn about Sinister Kid, right? We didn't have time to talk about it, but that's the solo show you had that you're turning into a script. Will we learn anything about the Sinister Kid updates on uh, the Patrick Mack on social? You, you will, for sure, as yes. I develop it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, dude, I've learned so much. Theater Kids, that's the one takeaway today. Patrick Theater McCart- Kids! <laughs> Patrick McCartney, thank you so much. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me.